All right, welcome back to Third String Podcast. Today, we're going to talk NBA Conference Finals, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, Ishan Nath, and a guest who's been on the show before, Taylor Young. Guys, welcome to Third String. Thanks for having us. What's up, Zach? Ready to talk Conference Finals? Oh, definitely. Me too. And uh, we're going to try to keep it short. We've been trying to do these 20-minute episodes lately. I think they're a little bit more digestible and manageable. So, I thought we could keep it to the East. I've got three kind of key questions here, and then we'll move to the West, and then we'll talk predictions and uh, series results and stuff like that. So we'll start with the East, the Celtics uh, overpowering the Sixers in five games. That was a disappointing series for me to watch. And Cleveland, of course, sweeping the Raptors uh, and getting the coach of the year fired, no less. So we're now looking at a Celtics-Cavs matchup. Who do you guys see as the key players in this series coming up? Uh, I would definitely say it's Kevin Love. I think he's the difference between this potentially being a short series for Cleveland and a long series that more resembles the Indiana series where Cleveland really slogged their way through the first round and maybe at times looked on the ropes. I think uh, similar to that Indiana Pacers team, the Celtics squad is young and they're not going to, you know, not to get all... uh, philosophical but they're they're not going to be the time that type of team that gets shook in the same way the Raptors did where you know after the Raptors lost that game one and overtime there was sort of that here we go again feeling and I feel like the Celtics will be the same way that they'll definitely be willing to trade punches with with Cleveland and I think if Kevin Love is the type of player that we saw him again against the Raptors then it's going to be a shorter series where Obviously, LeBron's going to dominate. So, All right, Ishan, what do you think? I'll go with on the Cavs, Kyle Korver, mostly his ability to stay on the court on defense. There's fewer places to hide on the Celtics than there were on the Raptors. Uh, And Korver's offense coming off those little pin downs with Kevin Love has just been so lethal that if he can stay on the court and hide enough on defense, I think that's like really key for the Cavs. And on the Celtics side, I'm definitely going to go with Jalen Brown, who's fighting through this hamstring injury. It's limited his minutes and mobility a little bit, and uh, they need both his defense and his offense, especially that three-point shooting, which is a little bit scarce on the Celtics these days. Uh, so, yeah, I think Brown's health is – is if, if they don't have that, they have no chance. Well, I think that uh, is a good segue to the second question, which has to do with some of the personnel matchups that we'll probably see in this series. So uh, I mentioned how – the uh, the Cavs' defeat of the Raptors got Dwayne Casey, the coach of the year, fired. A lot of people say, and I agree with them, that Brad Stevens should have been the coach of the year. Um, I think, uh, Taylor, you uh, reached back to me on Twitter and said that Brad Stevens gets to be a perpetual Cinderella story, uh, <laughs> which I think is uh, pretty accurate. Uh, but so Brad Stevens is an amazing coach. I think maybe the best coach in the NBA right now, um, even including Pop. I mean, I think Pop certainly has a more star-studded career, but I think like in terms of what they're doing right now, Brad Stevens takes the cake. So what do you guys think Brad Stevens needs to do? If you're in Brad Stevens' shoes right now, what matchups are you going to cr- try to create so that you know guys like Al Horford and Jason Tatum can uh, do the maximum extent possible to limit the Cavs and specifically limit LeBron in this series? I'm going to very quickly point out that Coach Greg Popovich was about three games away in an injury-filled season of taking a LaMarcus Aldridge-centered offense uh, to one of the top seeds in the West with uh, in a much better conference. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, I think that 
the best way that Brad Stevens, unless you have somebody like a Kawhi Leonard that you can throw at LeBron, I think you had the the only way to sort of confuse him is by just throwing a lot of bodies at him and a lot of different types of bodies. You saw the Spurs do that in the past. You saw the Mavericks do that. Obviously, LeBron's a much different player even since those finals and much more mature has just literally a, a complete game. Stevens will try to do is you'll throw Marcus Morris at him, show a little bit of Tatum and Jalen Brown, obviously. Um, but then you probably will even see Horford on him at times, probably some, you know, they'll be okay with uh, if Marcus Smart gets switched on to LeBron. Uh, so I think that's really the only way uh, that they can maybe even just hope to confuse him is just by throwing like, wait, there's a bigger body on me. Now there's a more athletic. Now there's a smaller guy. Um, and just sort of convince, try to uh, rope a dope LeBron into uh, different types of matchup confusions. But that's really the only thing I think they can or will do. Uh, I think the key with LeBron is the same that it's always been, which is just make him shoot. I think actually the Celtics should be feeling uh, one of the great hopeful things for the Celtics in the series, I think, is the fact that LeBron hit all those crazy fadeaways last series because I think when LeBron gets vulnerable is when he forgets that he's an inconsistent shooter and relies a lot on his jump shot. And so if I'm the Celtics, I just never double LeBron uh, I think they're one of the few teams with multiple bodies who you can throw at them and not just get overpowered every single time. A huge problem for the Raptors was that OG's just too small, so LeBron can just back him down right to the bucket for a layup, and Siakam's not really quick enough. Whereas Brown, Tatum, Morris, and Ojale, I think they have four guys with size and quickness to at least force him into jumpers some of the time. And so I think when the Cavs become really unstoppable on offense is when their shooters are getting open looks. And the Raptors were just completely overwhelmed in terms of trying to stop that. But the really hopeful thing for the Celtics is that they just played a team with a bunch of role-playing shooters. And between Redick, Bellinelli, Ilyasova, Covington, those guys, I don't have the stats, but I think I think combined those four guys shot like 20% on threes and didn't get that many good looks at all last series. And so if they can just force LeBron into jumpers and keep the teammates covered, that's that's kind of that's kind of their big hope. So I would throw also on that note, I would throw a fresh body at him like every three minutes. Have, you know, Jalen start the game on him, a little bit of Tatum, a little bit of Morris. I would I would really like to see an uptick in Ojale's minutes this series because I think his versatility on defense is key. The more lineups the Celtics have that can switch everything, the more of a chance they have on D because the Cavs really rely on getting those you know, Kevin Love mismatches off the screens because they just, there's so many shooters all over the court that if you don't switch the screens, Corver or JR are going to be wide open for a three. And so having lineups that can switch, Marcus Smart, even, you know, he's not very tall, but he's just like such a feisty little monster in the post that uh, you can even switch on him onto a big and not get totally destroyed. So, yeah, I think that switchability and not doubling LeBron is the strategy for Brad Stevens. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I think the the Celtics are really underrated defensively, uh, and they sort of showed that against Philadelphia. I saw a stat. Al Al Horford, I think, specifically did a really good job against Simmons. He was on the floor for like 132 of the 145 minutes that Simmons played and just did a really good job limiting Simmons. Obviously, one of those games, Simmons had turned into one-point performance. So, um, you know, LeBron's better than Simmons, but still I think the strategy has to center around how to limit 
LeBron. So I'll use that to go into our next question. And this is going to be really Wait, can tasty. I say one more thing yeah, on yeah, that? Yeah. Uh, Brad Stevens can't start Aaron Baines against that love LeBron lineup. He's totally useless there. Aaron Baines needs to play the minutes that Tristan Thompson plays and no other minutes in this series. Yeah. They got to go as heavy as they can on Brown, Tatum, Morris, Ojale, Smart, Rogier playing all the minutes at the one through four positions. Well, I, th- I think we have to take 30 seconds to answer this really takey question. So each of you guys have 30 seconds. Give me your thoughts on this. If with LeBron looking like he may be headed towards yet another finals, is LeBron the greatest of all time? No, Kobe is. I'm just kidding. I hate Kobe. Yeah. So I think there's been some interesting dialogue going on about this discussion. Uh, a lot of people, probably rightfully so, feel like Michael Jordan's unassailable and that that'll it'll just never he'll never be topped. I do think that LeBron's body of work is starting to add add up and obviously make the argument you know a more interesting one and one of the things that i heard on the open floor podcast sports illustrated that i thought was an interesting thought was that maybe michael will always but uh lebron might be the best and sort of separating it that way that michael's ceiling was higher and when michael was great he was clearly the greatest but lebron just being able to put this complete body of work go to all these finals year after year not ever really missing a step and arguably getting better that that at some point has to add up to the point that where you can potentially say that maybe LeBron had a better career so I'm not willing to say that LeBron is the greatest player ever if he beats this Warriors team I might venture to say that because I've always loved LeBron but um, I, I do think he is going to continue to make a convincing argument that if you stack their careers by side by side, that you would potentially take LeBron's career, that he had a better career than Michael Jordan. Yeah, I think that's generally fair. The counter argument to that, of course, is that in the 90s, sports medicine was you know, literally a decade behind what it was when LeBron came into the league. So we figured out a lot of ways to keep players around longer, which is why you see guys having careers like Dirk or LeBron, just long sustained periods of success that uh, guys in the Jordan era and before didn't have the opportunity to do. But I think your, your point's well taken. What do you think, Ishan? Uh, I mean, so one thing is like, I really hate this conversation because in general, I think it's like really hard. To, the sport changes so much across eras that it's really hard to compare things like counting statistics and Absolutely. Also, so many people participating in the conversation like never watched Jordan play, and like I never watched Magic and Bird and Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain and Kareem play. So like, yeah, it's kind of silly fair. for me to talk about them. Uh, that being said, I think uh, it depends. I think one important thing here is how much. Then you know, uh, Taylor was getting at this, and Kevin Pelton mentioned this in his ESPN piece a couple days ago. Really depends how much you value longevity versus peak. Uh, I think uh, it definitely could end up being the case that when you add up all the years, LeBron ends up having the best career ever. But I think there's a, a, a really major hole in the case for him being the best ever at the peak, which is that you know LeBron's basically spent the last 10 years uh, teaming up with other, other Hall of Famers. 
but he's never been on a team that you could consider like even really to have a case for being one of the top 10 teams of all time. So I think like, I think that 2013 heat team had a case. I mean, they obviously almost lost the finals to my, my Spurs, but you know, they were, when they were on that 27 game win streak, I mean, they, I don't have the standings in front of me, but I think that was a 67 win team. I think that has an argument for a top 10 team ever borderline maybe if you take like a couple months stretch in isolation but that's also like he played with wade bosch and a lot of great role players and they won two titles in four years and they like barely you know they're one shot away from not winning one of those titles uh so i would say to me lebron is like a very rich man's russell westbrook where you surround him with role players no no, no. Let, let me finish let me finish my thought you surround him with role players and he can carry a team really far but there's another skill for superstars, which is meshing with other superstars. And I think that's the hole in LeBron's greatest of all time argument. So, like, you put Steph and KD together, and it's just unfair because they're so great off the ball that, like, they're just totally dominant and unstoppable. But you put LeBron and Wade together or LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love, and LeBron needs the ball the whole game. He's not that useful off the ball. And so he's not – he hasn't shown the ability to – put them together with other Hall of Fame players and it becomes like just unfair to play them. And so I think that's the 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 weak point in his greatest of all time case. So I would actually say the path, obviously if this team beats the Warriors, I think he's got a strong case. Uh, just because the ability to carry, you know, one other star and role players would be so unbelievable that it would kind of wash out what I'm talking about. But I think the path to LeBron being considered the greatest of all time to me is when he inevitably jumps to another super team this summer, if that team turns into an unfair kind of team that you know competes with and beats these Warriors, I think then he'll have shown, in my view, there's like two separate aspects of being a superstar. There's like, can you carry mediocre players? Uh, and I think LeBron is clearly, if not you know the best, one of the best ever to do that, uh, maybe the best. And then there's like, when you team up with other superstars, are you actually as good as the sum of your superstar parts? And I think that's the part where I don't, if I had to, basically, I'm saying if I had to pick teams to play against aliens, you know, to win one game to save the earth or something, uh, I don't think I would pick LeBron first all time or even maybe in the top couple because uh, I'd rather have some guys who can play off the ball. So LeBron said earlier this week, I want to play off the ball at the next stage of my career, which I viewed as like telegraphing. I'm going to Houston to play with my buddy Chris Paul. And I think if he shows that he can be a superstar who doesn't need the ball the whole game, that's when I'll begin to take his greatest of all time claim seriously. Go to the greatest off the ball coach of all time, San Antonio, baby. That would be cool. That would be fun to watch too, LeBron and Kawhi. That would be fun to watch, but it would just contribute to the power drain from the East. So I think that would that would uh, that would just drive more of the need for not having a East versus West Finals. I think if LeBron that, goes West, I think it'll I think it'll happen. I think Adam Silver will make the call. I mean, that's been true for a decade though. Like someone was talking about. Uh, I saw someone talking about it on Twitter last week. Like. What's the list of the best players LeBron has played against in his 10-year run, whatever, uh, eight-year run? And, like, I don't think there's a single Hall of Famer who wasn't within a year or two of retirement. Like, so obviously the Celtics guys in 2011 were Hall of Famers, but they were all, like, about to retire. And, like, other than that, I mean, Derrick Rose, probably the best player LeBron's played against in his when he was 22 years old. 
You're talking this, just the East, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. In this run, I was I was addressing that East-West disparity that you guys were talking about. Paul George, when those in those Pacers series that were you know somewhat competitive, is the only person that I can think of. Yeah, and Paul George, like I don't think he's ever been, in my personal opinion, Paul George's peak. He was like the 14th best player in the league. Yeah, I think that the closest he ever got was that 2013 Eastern Conference Finals where they took him to seven, and you know you had those. I think those games in the middle of the series where Paul George, you know, in a vacuum was probably like a top seven or eight player in the league just because he played LeBron pretty close in the middle of that series. But I, but I do agree if you take his whole like body of work over a season, I think he's only had like little spurts where he maybe made it into the top 10. Yeah. Well, I'm going right. to, I'm going to jump in here and move us along. Cause, uh, our, our 32nd take on LeBron being the goat, uh, we, we busted that time a little bit. That was an impossible ask. It's a tough <laughs> thing to do in 30 seconds. Uh, I knew, I knew it was, I knew I was probably getting us in trouble there, but let's move to the West. So, uh, key matchups in this series, we have the Rockets and the Warriors going on. What do you guys see as the, the key things to watch or key players? I think the key matchup is that the Rockets really have to decide what they want to do. Do they want to put their best offensive lineup out there, which would be which would consist of Gordon, Paul, Harden, probably Capella out there, or do they want to sacrifice offense and throw their best defensive lineup out there, which is probably a combination of Paul, Harden, and Bamute, Ariza, maybe T- Tucker at the five going toe-to-toe with Draymond. And I just think that I, I like Zach Lowe in his column. He mentioned that this is a battle for the soul for basketball. You got the beautiful game Warriors on one hand playing isolation-heavy math genius. Let's throw up a 1,000 three-point shots rockets. And I just feel like the Warriors' versatility, Kevin Durant really makes them a video game cheat code because they can play that isolation style now to where even if the Rockets, you know, really slow it down, the Warriors can match that. And I think the Rockets, their their only chance in the series, in my opinion, is Harden and Paul playing uh, Curry and Durant to a stalemate. And then you have to have two other players be better than Clay and Draymond. But you can't really do that without sacrificing a ton of uh, effort on the defensive end. So I just think there's no no win-win for the Rockets. They they have to choose what they want to be, but either way, they're going to lose. <laughs> uh, I think the key matchup is how many of the 48 minutes the Warriors can cover with no center on the court. Because uh, I think when they play that death lineup, the, the so-called the Hamptons 5 lineup or whatever with Draymond at center, uh, that really neutralizes the Rockets' key strategy to be successful on offense, which is to get basically the Rockets run that pick and roll with Harden or Paul until they can get a switch. And then they attack the switches and you either help on the drive and leave a shooter or you give up a layup. And the problem is that there's no one in that death lineup who is a real mismatch for Harden or Paul on the switch. So the more they can play that lineup, the more I think they just really neutralize the crux of the Rockets offense. Uh, But the problem is that the Warriors, like Zach Lowe was saying in his column, half their roster is centers. And so to play 48 minutes without a center, I think is basically impossible because you got those five and then I would trust Livingston. Quinn Cook, I don't think counts because he's not he's not switchable. Uh, 
I think he's a lot smaller and less strong even than Steph is. Uh, so they basically got six guys. I, I would not trust Nick Young uh, on the court for a single minute against the Rockets. So they basically got six guys who are wings. So they're going to need to cover like 20 minutes of the game with a center in there. So I think that's a bit of a problem on defense. Uh, and then I think the other thing is that I, I think it like this issue of whether depth matters is like really going to be key in the series because I basically just don't trust these guys on the Warriors outside of like the core five in Livingston. And even out of the core five, I'm not sure I trust Iguodala to knock down open shots right now on offense. Uh, so these like early second quarter lineups, the the Warriors have been playing where they're like really reliant on these like KD fadeaway contested long twos, which maybe he can get okay against Drew Holiday, but it's going to be a lot tougher against like Tucker or Ariza. I think these sort of these bench lineups when the Rockets are still running their you know Chris Paul pick and rolls and have in practice been really good on offense for the minutes when Harden is sitting or the minutes when Paul is sitting. I think that's like the times when the Warriors are a little bit vulnerable. So the Rockets are going to like really need to dominate these, or at least first half of the second quarter when Steph's on the bench kind of minutes. And uh, yeah, I also, I mean, I think the defenses are going to be a lot more successful in this series than people think. I think this. Yeah. Well, actually I was going to ask you guys about that. And this kind of goes back to what Taylor was saying, but both of these teams have have some defensive firepower, to say the least. So who do you think has the defensive edge in this series? I think in in my layman's view, it's going to come down to who is defending better. Uh, I think the Warriors still have the defensive edge because just from playoff experience playing together, uh, they're very good one-on-one. They're very good one-on-one defenders because their ability to switch. And then if the Rockets try to... Uh, pick up the pace a tick the way the warriors really kill you is they're so long and they just disrupt uh passing lanes so well uh so i i still think the warriors have the defensive edge uh and i mean if you look at the fact that uh these are going to be really the best defenders that harden has faced so far and the only time harden has shot better than 50 percent in the playoffs thus far is the very first game in the minnesota series uh, and he you know he's been shooting it pretty poorly lately he's been he has that tendency to settle for, you know, step back fadeaways. And I just really think that he could, uh, if he tries to go in that hero, you know, you have two players, Harden and Paul, who when games and series get tight, I'm not trying to make this, uh, you know, any more than just stating the facts that they can get pretty tight and they uh, can get extremely ball dominant. And if they start taking bad shots, the, the Warriors are going to crush them for that. I think the main Warriors lineup has the defensive edge, but I think it gets real dicey after that. Like Looney's shown a great ability to switch, but it's like that's a great ability relative to his size and overall slowness. Uh, and then, you know, like JaVale, Nick Young, Quinn Cook, I would not trust those guys for five seconds on defense against the Rockets. So I think like you got five guys, the, the Hamptons five, uh, I hate calling them that, but I guess it's just convenient. Uh and Livingston, who I really trust on D for the Warriors, and then maybe Looney. So I think it gets dicier faster. Uh, although, I don't know, if the Rockets feel compelled to play Gerald Green, that could be a problem too. But, Ishan, I think that goes to the back to the problem of if it really decides what the – or it's going to come down to what the Rockets decide to do because if they, if they don't have their best offensive lineup out there, which would really – 
you know, make them only have two scorers on the floor. But like if they have Quinn Cook and uh, Nick Young out there, it doesn't really matter if Mbaugh Mute or PJ Tucker or Ariza are playing because those those people aren't, you know, huge offensive threats. Oh, that's where I really disagree because the Rockets' whole strategy is they seek out the weak link via those switches. And so the Rockets are just going to run that high pick and roll until they get their weakest, the weakest defender on the court to guard Harden or Paul. So I think actually this is like the one team where having Nick Young out there is like a bigger problem than usual. All right. Well, this is a good discussion, but we are about to hit hit our time limit. So let's talk about predictions here. Let's stay on the West for a moment. What do you guys think is going to happen here? How many games are we going to see and who's going to ultimately win the series? Ishan, we'll start with you. All right. So I think that Steph's health is still something I'm not sure about. It seems like he's more of a spot up shooter than the pick and roll engine of the offense that he usually is last series. And so I kind of feel like if Steph's health is a question, then the Warriors might be in a little bit of trouble because they got really reliant on those Durant mid-range fadeaways last game, last series. And, you know, against 6-4 Drew Holiday, maybe those can be efficient enough to have a good offense, but I don't think that's the level of efficiency they're going to need to win those series. So I think they need a healthy Steph to win the series. I think he's going to be just healthy enough for them to win in six, but if he's a step slow, I think the Rockets win in seven. Yeah, so I think that way too many things have to go right like for the Rockets to win this series especially to win to, I mean they have to beat the Warriors four times in seven games the Warriors uh you know that's been a tall task I think they've lost how many playoff games total since Kevin Durant has been there uh not many I had it pulled up earlier sorry uh but I just three. think it's three. three too many things have to go right and yeah, I just at the end of the day, I think the the Warriors can almost play a B or B minus series, and I, I think they can still win. I, I just really think that Curry and KD is a basketball cheat code, and uh, I just think it's gonna they're gonna have too much firepower, too much experience, and uh, yeah, I still do not trust Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think Warriors in five. Uh, I, I think if if Steph is on the court, um, if he's a little bit hobbled, I could see it going six or seven. Obviously, if Steph for some reason gets hurt worse or missed time, then that changes everything. But Warriors have right. too much versatility. My okay. one last comment on this is that uh, I have a really different view of the Rockets. I think I have the same view of the Warriors being a cheap code, but cheat code. But I think the Rockets. Went forty-eight and four with Harden, Paul, and Capella in the regular season. I think they're one of the best teams ever. I think they're a legitimate com- competitor against the Warriors. Although I still think the Warriors pull it out. All right, let's move on. Okay, so yeah, we'll move on to the East. Uh, what do you guys think is going to happen here? How many games, and who's going to emerge victorious, Celtics or Cavs? I think the Cavs win. Uh, I think they take it in six, but I think the Celtics go up two-one. I think the Celtics make it interesting. Uh, I think that the Celtics are, uh, smoke and mirrors and that they basically exposed a really young, confused Philly team and barely beat a really mediocre Bucks team. Uh, I mean, on the other hand, that Indiana team had no business being a real Eastern conference contender and was, you know, outscored the Cavs by 40 in in that seven game series and basically lost by like one bucket. Uh, 
So maybe I'm wrong, but I yeah, I think this series is going to be over fast and the, the Celtics just really don't have enough to compete, even with Brad Stevens. I think the Cavs in four or five. I'll say five because I, I think they get bored for a game and lose one. But okay. uh, yeah. Yeah, just like the Warriors did against the Spurs in round one. Oof. Sorry, Taylor. All okay. right. Manu well, put all... the team on his back. He but did. also, I should say that I had Cavs in four or five against the Pacers and thought it would be a blowout, and I had Raptors right. in six. So I've been consistently wrong about everything. Okay, well, we'll see if that continues. Thanks so much for joining us today, guys. For our listeners, thank you for listening. If you want to follow these guys or me on Twitter, Ishan is, uh, I've, I've told you his his other handle, which is where he writes about economics, and that's a great one as well. But if you want to follow his sports handle, you can go to at ShouldaKeptJB. It's Jimmy Butler Fan Club. And uh, Taylor is at the T Young, and I am at Zach Griffin. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, thanks for listening to Third String Podcast. Mm-hmm.